welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season three, episode six, titled The Climb. There are two reasons why yes. it's titled The Climb. Uh, Littlefinger's just stellar speech about chaos and power and uh, all of the things that concern him, and then also the literal climb up the right. wall, uh, which I, I enjoy that dual meaning, especially the Littlefinger stuff. Uh, what do you think of this episode? Yeah, I'd forgotten. Like you know, you you're browsing through HBO's uh, you know archives on the HBO Now app, and you see just Tormund's crazy climbing face, uh-huh. and you see the climb. And I'm like, oh, all right, all right, it's that one, it's that one. I totally forgot that this is the one where Littlefinger espouses fully his chaos as a ladder speech, right? Uh, to a horrified Varys, uh, and I th- I think I th- I think it's awesome. Like honestly. I mean, I know we we said we were going to rank our favorite seasons, oh, uh, and yeah. we've kept forgetting. But like <laughs> season three, like if if you're a fan of the stuff of Game of Thrones that I'm a fan of, like the political intrigue, boy, how, it's it's hard to beat this because you also uh, like underappreciated Jim in this episode is Lady Olenna's duel with Tywin that she loses. Oh man, oh it's so good. Um, and like the resign, like like there's a lot of other good stuff, like the resignated uh, brother sister kind of um, I don't know peace accord that Tyrion and Cersei makes, where she reveals that she isn't in fact the one that tried to kill him in the Battle of Blackwater, and what's See, that I, mean with Joffrey? And... I knew they'd have something to bond over here, right? Tyr- the fact that they Tywin, hate Tywin is bringing the family together, he is all part of his plan. He's a uniter, not a divider. Uh huh. And uh, then you've got just a visual spectacle of the the climb itself. Like yeah. it's an amazing concept. Uh, it's well realized. It's like as fierce as any pitched battle on the show. But it's just man versus essentially nature. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the top, and it's extremely beautiful. It's awesome. Yeah, I love the moment where you know Eager looks back at her homeland, right. From the top of the wall, and John says, "No, no, take a yeah, look, look at where we're going. Look, look, there's some yeah. really good stuff, <laughs> right?" And then he joins the Seventh Mile High Club. <laughs> but um, I yeah, no, it's 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 great. Um, and I know that there's probably a bunch of sequences that uh, I'm I'm forgetting about as well. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, uh, it is a really great episode of an already great season. Yeah, I agree. Uh, pretty much. Talked about everything that I want to talk about. One thing want, since we're in intro, yeah. I've not been watching the intro sequences very often since the like maybe the first episode this season. Like but previously I happen, on, yeah, no, 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 the actual credit sequence. Oh yeah, yeah. And okay. I forgot this cool detail that they were doing where Winterfell is smoldering this entire season. Yeah. Because uh, I was like getting my notes prepared and like clearing out the other stuff, and because I'm saving a couple pieces of feedback in the spoiler section for. Like, you know, people are watching ahead and they're talking about stuff and I, I want to kind of consider it around that episode. And while I was doing that, I just happened to look up and I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. You know, because I remember the the time that like the Winterfell is essentially desolate. Um, but the fact that like none of the clockwork stuff's working and it's on it's 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 smoldering and on fire. Very cool touch. Yeah. Hey, before we get on to the episode, I want to talk about some stuff that's going on here at BaldMove.com. Uh, if you don't know, uh, Better Call Saul has returned, and we are giving it uh, extensive coverage. we got an Instant Take podcast uh, the night of it release on Monday. We've also got the regular full-fledged coverage on Wednesday. We also have that Instant Talk thing that we deployed in Westworld, uh, and that's a lot of fun, where if you watch 
the first showing uh, at the 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. You come back at 10. There'll be an article on baldmove.com. You can click through. And if you're a club member, you can watch us record the podcast and participate in the second half where we take audience questions and commentary. So that's fun. Uh, also, you know, currently we're doing Game of Thrones. We're also doing Sharp Objects, another fantastic HBO series. Uh, we had a first-run movie last week where we reviewed Spike Lee's new joint, Black Klansman. Finally, every 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday and Thursday, we're going on twitch.tv slash baldmove. We're trying a slightly different format where on Tuesdays I pick a movie and on Thursdays Jim's picks a movie. We're going to sit and live watch something. And If you don't know what that is, tune in to twitch.tv slash baldmove to find out. Uh, we're going to be watching a movie with our fans and, you know, making jokes and making commentary. Uh, those will be archived on our Twitch site for two weeks. So if you can't join us live, and who the fuck can, unless you've got a job that's super cool uh, or no job or a night job or another part of the world. <laughs> so actually a lot of people. A lot a of people. A surprising number of people a, a number can. Of people, yeah, but okay. if you can't, I understand. It's on there. You can watch it anytime after the fact on twitch.tv slash baldmove. We might archive them for club members too, but uh, that's what we're going to be. We're going to try something a little bit different of a format. Twitch.tv slash baldmove. Rick, how you doing, buddy? You, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, do, do you even know what it's like out there? N- no, n- not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne into cell phones, that kind of thing. What is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left them to be raised by... Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are, too. We're preparing to once again recommission The Watching Dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, The Ones Who Live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. FX is adapting James Clavell's best-selling novel, Shogun, into a 10-part miniseries this spring. Set in the Shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun, as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu. Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters, and thrilling action. This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works. Starring Hiroyuki Sanada from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4, with Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc., joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode, uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and the glory of Shogun. Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. 
Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. All right, are we ready for the recap? Yes. We start off with Sam having trouble building a fire. Gilly has to advise him on how to do it. Uh, he shows her some of the treasure that he found at the Fist of the First Man and describes the wall and Castle Black to her, kind of everything that goes on there, including singing, which Gilly requested Sam sing her a song, and it puts the baby to sleep. I think it's funny when she says, you've got too much wood, and Sam says, that's what she said, but he doesn't. He's not He's not, not slick enough to have that bad of a pickup line. They, they should probably just as a rule teach the uh-huh. people at the wall to build fires right right like if you can join the boy scouts and day two you're building right. fires they can do that in the fucking Especially night's since watch. that's kind of like the steward's job which is and it just it just underscores how what a failure at all things night's watchman uh sam is yeah but it was almost to an unbelievable degree you don't think so you don't think that sam wouldn't know how to build because it's not he didn't know how to build a fire he didn't know how to build it very well like he was getting i just a fire think they would have taught him i think, think they so? would have taught that's like probably number one thing it's fucking freezing at the yeah. wall every every single night's watch member should know how to build a roaring fire i i agree whether whether sam would, would get there in <laughs> okay. in uh you know how many months has he been have he been there like three six not very I mean, long. that seems like plenty of time. And he was like, well, I don't he got know, to the point where learner. he could take his vows. Hmm. Maybe that he ought, be part maybe, of it. Maybe he pretended to be bad at building a fire just so the brothers would stop asking him. He just like, you know, set, okay. he set the yeah. Lord Commander's apartment on fire once. And yeah. then Whoops, he burnt down a stable and they're like, you know what? I'll just I'll just build your fires for you, Sam. <laughs> uh, well, Gilly's the fire bu- fire builder in this team. Yeah. Uh, it was nice him singing the song about, um, and like I think it was it was uh, pretty, it was it was kind of poignant hearing Gilly kind of listen to the words because they're so like you know whatever religion Craster was preaching wasn't a a stern but gentle father that watches over all of his children and a loving and protective mother that watches over her children like it was probably pretty fucking grim yeah i'm sure it gets real dark yeah and like the you know just from a like if you're just judging from a like a culture and and religion like that's got to be appealing to a person that was in her place where her father uh her father husband Mm -hmm. just lorded over them and killed all their male children and was just a just a brute, a brute and a rapist. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was pretty poignant, and I felt like the actor who plays Gilly did a really good job at kind of showing that thoughtfulness as she's listening. The same thing. Uh, this piece of treasure that he finds kind of almost looks like it could be like an arrowhead for a giant's arrow or something. Yeah, or like a tip of a spear. Yeah, it's either a giant arrowhead or a tip of a spear. Although you could certainly use it as a dagger. Yeah, um, I suppose so. But uh, I like, I do love that, uh, that like look of like flinted obsidian. You know, like someone that's like yeah. that's that's got to be a skill, like to take that glass yeah, that and hammered. like chip it into mm-hmm. a sharp without. And there's a skill to like you know the shape because you want it strong, but you also want it thin so it can do its job. And you yeah. want the edge sharp but not brittle. And it's like. You know, you gotta ride the razor's edge. How like say, twenty thousand years ago, anyone in your family would know how to do that. Yeah, 
Like, I mean, like, they'd be the anti-Sam. Like, by the time you're <laughs> but 18, know how to build a fire, yeah. male or female, you could probably shape flint, you could uh-huh. skin a hide, you could build a fire, you could smoke meats, you could hunt, like... Apparently you can't build bows, though. Right. Because Asha <laughs> uh, does not know how to build a bow, I guess. Right. I never just, I just never had time. <laughs> right. I, I, could build, I could build an awesome bow. Just better, don't, I just better don't, bow I, than you. I just don't want to. All right, so let's get to that scene. Mira and Asha fight over who can skin a rabbit better. Bran settles the argument for them, tells them to just shut up, basically. Can't fight each other. And then Jojen begins convulsing during one of his visions, and he awakes and says he saw John on the wrong side of the wall surrounded by enemies, which we know is a pretty accurate vision currently. It's interesting how his vision would have that context, like surrounded by enemies. Is he talking about the wildlings? Is he talking about... I think so. Uh, the others that are lurking in the dark parts of the woods because, like, contextually, is he really surrounded by enemies? I guess... And then, especially it, from Jojen's perspective, know. you know, like, yeah. you know, these are these are all men. I don't know. It, it's an interesting thing to think about. Like, it is. what, it, like, how much, like, I, I feel like the vision shows him things, and then there's always the interpretation, and that's right. the thing that, like... That's what Melisandre always gets fucked That's what Melisandre always gets fucked over, too. She sees the yeah. thing, and they're accurate, but, like, you know, putting them in the correct context is is uh, what's interesting. Uh, I do wonder if this convulsion stuff is going to start happening to Bran. Because, right. you know, he has the same visions that Jojen has, so right. uh could be bad road when, ahead for when him. When he starts green-seeing, will will this this befall him, too? And it's I think that's... The implication, yeah. uh, to paraphrase Dennis, uh, it's like when <laughs> when Bran seeing this you know this haunted little boy have these these dreams and it's like you know costing him so much. Bran's like Jesus, I've already given up my legs. What is this journey going to cost me? Probably his arms. For his arms, I yep. guess. Yep. Uh, so at the wall, his youthful his youthful visage. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's definitely going to rob him of that. <laughs> it's quickly evaporating. The next four seasons are going to ravage the once youthful looks of this boy. Yeah, spoiler alert: this kid keeps aging <laughs> for the next four years. Um, but no, no, he actually dies next episode. Yeah. So who knows? <laughs> who knows how long he lives? We done fucked up. Oh shit! There you go. <laughs> At the wall, the wildlings prepare for their climb. John's afraid, but eager is eager to fulfill her life's dream of seeing the world from the top of the wall. She gives John some climbing footwear and then teases him about their lovemaking session. Finally, she reveals that she knows she, that he's still loyal to the Night's Watch, but he's going to be loyal to her now. They're, they're a pair. Tormund gives him a climbing pick and tells him not to scream if he falls, which is pretty good. Yeah. Don't want that to be your last memory of you. Uh, a couple of small details here that Torm mentions about the Night's Watch neglecting their tree chopping duties. Usually they keep this forest area clear yep. of trees, I guess, so they can see if the wildlings ever approach the wall. Right. Imagine uh, they like haven't it's... been doing that, which kind of clues them into how many people the Night's Watch right. actually has. It's like a whole, like, you know, there should be more patrol. Like, 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 if you clear out that mile between the tree line and the wall, and you have the brothers patrolling the wall at every so hour increments, the idea that the wildlings could make their way under zero cover to the wall, climb it, and get to the top before they'd be discovered and repelled is almost zero. Yeah. The fact that the brothers could no longer have that manpower to even keep the forest clear mm-hmm. um, is, is, a, is, a big, is a big problem for them, obviously. Yeah. Although, uh, as the, the Black Brothers like to say, the wall does defend itself, and we see how in uh, the, the, the scenes to come. Yeah. Uh, 
the other troubling thing here is how fast Egret moves in this relationship. <laughs> she goes from one bang sesh to right. it's you and me now. Don't ever betray me. Right, like, right. What? I what? Want the, I want the key to your apartment, Jon Snow. <laughs> right. <laughs> can I borrow your car? <laughs> Here's all the pictures of your old girlfriends. I've gathered up so you can burn them in front of me, Jon Snow. <laughs> it's creepy. No, no. It's she's too a little, much. She's a little r slash nice girls here with the whole, like, <laughs> don't ever betray me or I'll cut your dick off. Like, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. Seem to deter John though. Well, they don't. John call, seems with it at the end of this. They don't call them politelings or stablelings or you know, uh, so sober rational thoughtlings. They're wildlings. So yeah. that's that's what you're that's what you're getting into. Anything else on that scene? Or? Um, I don't know. Just that. I think it's it's interesting that Egret clocks Jon Snow's whole thing. Yeah. That like I knew you weren't a crow, and you or you, I know you weren't going to. You're you're brave and loyal, and that means you're going to have a hard time breaking your vows. But also, I think you love me, and you are going to be loyal to your woman probably more than you're going to be loyal to these silly vows. Um, but she's taking a big risk with her life and the lives of all of her compatriots by not, mm-hmm. you know, dis- discussing that. So, uh, and it's like, but it's an interesting choice because it also makes i think john feel more loyal and more conflicted because yeah. you know he he's put she's putting an enormous amount of trust it'd be one thing if he she's fucking him but like i still don't trust you john snow mm-hmm. but she's fully putting her trust in him and it's it's uh it's hard and it's all you know like the i think all of ned's kids have a hard time lying and when she point out aston don't betray him he says i won't it's gonna be tough for him it's gonna be real tough when the time comes what is he going to do when it, when when these people get to the other side of the wall mm-hmm. uh you know when is he going to if he does when is he going to uh shut the door on his on his uh you know wilding act yeah all right we go to aria is practicing her archery uh the the brotherhood's archer i don't know his name Argery, i think uh, Argery, sure Something like that. Uh, Argery the Archer gives her some advice. To Sir, n- not named in the books. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, he tells her never aim, which is interesting. Uh, she's it's a little instinctive confused archery, by that. Jim. Yeah, yeah. You don't aim. You don't even look. You just kind of pull the bow back. And- yeah, aim, aiming's for a target practice. If you want to kill a dude or hit a rabbit on the run, you better you yeah. better just have it down just pat. Feel it. Yeah. Uh, Melisandre shows up, and they bring her in to see Beric. She's shocked by Thoris' power to bring him back six times. Thoros confesses he didn't even believe in R'hllor until his friend Beric died, and he prayed over him, accidentally bringing him back to life. Beric asks why she's here, and she says they have someone R'hllor needs. So they go out and they grab Gendry. Arya and Gendry are both pretty pissed by what they see as a betrayal for the sake of gold. When Arya confronts Melisandre, she tells her that there's darkness in her, and they'll meet again, and Gendry is carted off. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot of stuff. Um, uh, this is the King's Blood she's been looking for. What is she going to do with it? I couldn't speculate because I already know. <laughs> okay. But it's, I, it's a question that people are going to be But she says that you, you know, like later on she says you're going to have the power to break and unmake kings. That's mm. interesting. Yeah. Like there are kings we know of. Uh, there's uh, uh, the Lord of uh, shit, Balon Greyjoy. There is Joffrey. There is Rob Stark. Stannis. Stan. Well, Stannis. Yep, you're right. Stannis. Make him. Yep. Um, what the, who the fuck were the five kings? The War of the Five Kings. 
Uh, Joffrey, Stannis, Balin, Rob. Th- there was Stannis's brother. Oh, Rinley, uh, of Rinley, course, yeah. of course. I already, we already forgot. Rin- Rinley's uh, one down, four to go. And that's the thing. It'd be uh, you could speculate and say, okay, well, Gendry's there to do essentially the same thing that Stannis did, right? It right. Would just put the shadow baby into Melisandre, right. and, and he's young and strong. And maybe and maybe he can go multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, she'll have quadruplets, quadruplet shadow babies. Just give them like 15 minutes between sessions. Right, yeah, yeah. Get some Gatorade. Shadow babies for days. Yep, yep, yep. Kill, uh, kill all the other four kings. Sure, sure. Make sure he keeps his electrolyte levels up. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I like how the the joy that like Thoros takes on like throwing Melisandre's bullshit back at her because she's like, oh, you were you failed in your mission, blah blah blah. He's like, oh yeah, well, I get to check out this project, and she's like, uh-huh. you shouldn't have this power. And he goes, I don't. It's the Lord. And if you were a real believer, you'd know that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Look who slept through Sunday Rolor School. Right, and the, oh, what, what are you talking about? The other side is just darkness. Right. That's what we believe, don't you know that? Yeah, like, she's really, she's really, you know, called, called her bullshit is being called upon people who have put things into practice. And, mm-hmm. of course, you know, like, I think that's, it, it's like, it's not like Melisandre is a purely theory-based person. She's done right. a lot of spectacular stuff herself. Um but I thought that was really great. And mm-hmm. also how, like, Thoris is kind of like a prick to start with, but by the end, you know, he's got a pr- appropriate amount of reverence about, uh, you know, I said these prayers. I, I thought that they were just stories we told children. It was just for show and spectacle until the one time my friend died, and I said them because they're the only words I knew, and the Lord replied, and he popped up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought that was really cool. And then there's the stuff at the end of the scene with Arya and Melisandre where she tells her what I think is meant to be taken as a prophecy here. Like, mm-hmm. we should be analyzing these words and figuring them out. Certainly. Brown eyes, blue eyes, green eyes, eyes you'll shut forever. And we'll meet uh, again. I assume that this stuff is in the book verbatim. Damn it, you shouldn't catch me uh, flat-footed uh, uh, like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, oh, tell me, which paragraph and uh-huh. page number is this in, in the book? Yeah, uh, No, I know for a fact this doesn't happen in a book, because oh, okay. they actually introduce, uh, in the books, uh, Melisandre's uh, gunning after um, one of, I think, uh, Robert's, maybe he is a bastard, or maybe he's like a cousin, but he's like Elderic uh, Baratheon, hmm. and he's back in Storm's Inn, and she just goes and collects, collects him from the Castilian... Uh, okay. Here they 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 weave it in with Gendry, um, and yeah, but in the books, Melisandre never meets the Brotherhood. Okay, well, then I don't Jesus, know. I hope so because like that's a big <laughs> that's a big thing to get wrong. <laughs> I, I don't know how seriously to take these words then because it doesn't feel to me like the show would start inventing prophecies uh-huh. uh, for Arya to fulfill if they're not in the book. Uh-huh. So. Um, I don't know. I, I thought they were important words. Maybe they're not. Well, I mean, you got to also understand that you know. I don't think anything really. Um, I, I don't. I don't think that they really. I don't, I don't think they're they're not useful in predictive power because obviously the showrunners are abbreviating things instead of introducing a completely new set and a new character and explaining that mm-hmm. and having this big dialogue scene where you have the treaty with the Castilian, just like hey we already know Gendry and he's already here in the Riverlands and Melisandre can go scoop him up. And uh, that thing yeah. will that thing will all track. Um, so I don't say I don't think you can just like flat dismiss it. Sure. Um, okay. Also, it's interesting because like they're 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 minus Bodkin point, and he says it's can pierce plate armor from two hundred yards. I looked mm-hmm. it up, and it seems like this guy's full of shit. 
that like these bodkin points could pierce plate at short very short ranges but um and i, I guess that was i don't know when uh archaeologists medieval scientists started kind of figuring this out but they've tested several and none of them are hardened so they're just kind of like relatively soft steel or even pig iron but he does um, he does say it, it depends on the steel that's true but i guess so they were could get like some valerian steel maybe sure 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 sure. maybe he could make some that um do. i guess the original point haha of this bodkin device was to pierce mail which okay. seems to be the primary uh armor that most of the people in westeros wear yeah like yeah it's always made you always hear the boiled leather and mail boiled leather and mail yeah uh, which is pretty decent armor seems like it would work just not full plate all right the climb begins Tormund knocks a chunk off the wall and it hits John square in the face. Like just a football right sh- in his stupid face. shaped chunk of ice square in the face, dude. Yeah, he almost falls, but he manages to catch himself uh, at the last minute. I I don't even know that that's survivable. That is a big <laughs> yeah, piece huge. of ice. Ice is heavy and it's hard and it's sharp. I mean, it knocks him off the wall and it doesn't even mark him up. Like he yeah, doesn't have like a true. split on his cheek. There's no swelling. Like he took that like a champ. <laughs> He really did. Called yeah. John Ol Obsidian Face because he's <laughs> just nothing, nothing. It was pretty funny though. I yeah. I had to laugh out loud when it hit him. Yeah, because like I think Thor, I think Tormund did it by accident. He did, but yeah. then he kind of like I just want to see if you could take a punch, you know. And yeah, he'd probably feel pretty shitty about it if John had fallen to his death. But I then, don't know how shitty he'd feel about it. I mean, shittier than to make a joke about it. Egret would be pissed. He'd probably not like enjoy that. Yeah, but. <laughs> he might have some some words coming to him at the top of the wall. All right, the mop boy fucks with Theon some more by playing a game where Theon gets to keep his little finger if he can guess where they are and who the mop boy is. Uh, when Theon guesses correctly that they're at Carhold, that the mop boy is the son of Lord Rickard Stark, and he's being tortured because he betrayed Rob, the mop boy has to admit he's right. Uh, when Theon relaxes, unfortunately, the mop boy admits that those were all lies, and he flays his little finger. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. The scene. Yeah, and somewhere Peter Baelish uh, loosens his collar, and he doesn't know why. Uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, I honestly, I had to look away at the flaying scene, man. Yeah, I, I don't. That that's uh. that's pretty. That's pretty bad. Um, it is. And I, he re- he still doesn't reveal his identity, but no. the reason he's torturing at this point is because he enjoys it, and it's a game to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I remember this is like there's a, this was a very meme tastic season of Game of Thrones yeah. because I like the if you think this has a happy ending you haven't been paying attention mm-hmm. is used a lot on uh, Game of Thrones related message boards whenever sweet summer children want to speculate about how this or that's going to work out for the heroes. Yeah. Um, but I think the joke's eventually going to be on them because George Martin's described the ending as bittersweet, mm-hmm. which is not entirely unhappy. So. Yeah, it, it, I suppose it's possible that it may not have a happy ending for mm. Theon. I also himself. like just the like the last hearth, and he's like, "Do I look like a fucking umber to you?" Like, <laughs> you know, what the hell does an umber look like? There's like the umbers are, I, I guess, uh, n- re- renowned throughout the north for being big, burly bear fuckers, and seem they, to have a little, a little uh, scragglier hair. Yeah, maybe. yeah, they, they might stink a little bit more. They might be even stinkier barbarians than the rest. Yeah. But I thought it was just like that because it felt like genuine outrage, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> Uh, and yeah, he wins by having him cut the the finger off. He does. Yeah, does he actually cut his finger off? Because I don't, I don't ever see that. I just see the flaying. Uh, I don't. I mean, he said he won. So when Theon, at the, you know, they kind of cut that shot or shut from the back, the shot from the back where he says, you know, please, please cut it off, cut it off, and. Mm. 
the mop boy, we're calling him, the mop boy does it and then says, I win. I guess he cut it off. I guess that's the kind of thing okay. that mop boy would do. But he's also a liar and, the, you know, this is like, uh, whose line is it anyway? Whose finger is this anyway? Where nothing you say matters and it's just unending pain. So, mm-hmm. All right, then we move on to Lord Frey's messengers delivering Walder's demands to Rob. Uh, they want an apology from Rob. They want Harrenhal and its attendant lands and for Edmure to wed one of his daughters, which that worked out so well for them last time. Uh, in exchange, Rob will get the support he needs to take Casterly Rock. Uh, Edmure wants to refuse in order to negotiate his choice of daughter, but he's convinced to accept when Rob reminds him of his earlier failure and lays the fate of the entire war at his feet. Yeah. God damn it, Rob. Right. <laughs> so So fucking selfish. I mean, he acknowledges it, he, like he lampshades it, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. Well, are you a, pa- are you a patriot or are you an, aren't you, Edmure? Uh-huh. I mean, it is like, because that's the thing, like Edmure kind of fucked up, but not, not, not nearly a, as much as Rob. Not in a way that would actually impact the, the way the war should go if Rob did all the things that he was supposed to do right. But, you know, yeah. Rob's not a perfect king. No, he's um, not. And he's got himself into a real bind here, and his loyal bannerman's got to step up and take one for the team. And, I mean, the humor in the scene, such as it is, where men are horse trading women like, well, horses. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, they're even talking about, what, do you want to check her teeth? Um, is that, you know, we've seen the phrase. We've seen their court. Mm-hmm. There's some really rough turnips uh, that you could be served up for a salad if if Lord, Lord Frey wants to. And what... Yeah. What possible reason would Lord Frey have to give one of his choice choice flower? What would the, the Tywin say? Your prize flower? Why, why would he throw one of his yeah. prize flowers to the dirt when he's got like this guy's got to marry whoever it is? You know, right? So that's the humor again. Such I really want to make a, scene. a Pride and Prejudice comparison here, but I can't think of any of the girls' names. Really? <laughs> yeah, the uh, youngest one wasn't it Lizzie. Y- you're, you're not giving away. No. Oh, that was, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not giving away like. The, the the pride of the family, right? right. You're giving away the, the youngest one who doesn't have any chance at ever getting married. Right. Yeah, like Edmure's like, I'm not getting Rosamund Pike. No. I'm not getting uh Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley, yeah, Bennett like Beckham. No. Uh I'm probably gonna get the loud mouthy one that's kinda got a goofy nose. At best. Or, or Elon Musk's uh teenage wife. Yeah. Right. You're <laughs> not gonna get yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I I don't know. I just I couldn't get past I will say I love the acting from the guy who plays Edmure in this scene. His his just like it, there there's some kind of incredulity there that you can see on his face, mm-hmm. and he just he's really really good. He's playing a character you don't really like very mm-hmm. much, but he's so good at it. Yeah, he's got like you know a punchable face, and I, I did like the Blackfish where he's like, "Oh, the yeah. gods of laws and men, uh, the the laws of men and gods are in," and he's like, "Well, the law of my fist is about to." And, <laughs> I kind of want to see him rough him up, but uh, yeah. yeah, I'm actually, I guess, on balance rooting for Edmure in this scene. But uh, yeah, I mean, if Rob, ah, ah, because that's the thing. This Rob, is this Rob, isn't what like are you doing. It's not. It would be one thing if Rob had had done everything mostly correct yes. and was on the cusp of victory. And this is kind of like, come on, do we want to win or not? This is yeah. like a you know, you got to bail me out, man. Yep. I already cashed my check at the payday loan place, and now the loan sharks are coming calling. And then yeah, you know, you're my li- you're my only hope, man. I mean, his his implication here is that he'll be handsomely rewarded for this sacrifice, right? Uh, what he perceives as a sacrifice, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Edmure, when when Rob wins the war, Rob is going to give him lands, castles, something. Ed- Edmure's like, can I have Hall Wink, like that, right in front of the phrase, because he's just so <laughs> right. terrible. 
Like you, I just probably, uh, goddamn. Uh-huh. I mean, I would have if you not had said it out loud. Now they're going to suspect. Yep. Uh, it's good. It's a good scene. All right, we move on to Roos, Jamie, and Brienne discussing what the the fates of of the two will be. Uh, Roos tells Jamie that he can go back to King's Landing as restitution for the loss of his hand if he swears to tell Tywin that he had nothing to do with his maiming. And Brienne, however, is not going with him. She's staying because she's committed crimes. Mm-hmm. Many a crime. Uh, and one of the crimes is wearing that hideous pink dress. <laughs> Holy shit. It's a Pepto-Bismol. She was just Pepto-Bismol, <laughs> a bottle that's been left open, and a cat has rubbed up against it and left a disgusting fur ring around the rim. <laughs> yeah, Brienne. It doesn't know, suit her. I mean, I, honestly, it's not her fault. This is actually yeah. a war crime that Roos Bolton has committed by forcing mm-hmm. her to wear it. Um because, yeah. But, yeah, like, Brynn's going to have to answer for her, you know, her treason. And that's, it's so shitty because, like, even Roos is like, you know, uh, this is all really Lady Stark's fault. But, yeah. you know, Rob ain't going to hang her. So. Well, I, I think it's ridiculous because on one hand, he, you know, he's saying those kinds of things. On the other hand, he's got her dressed in this dress, which is simply meant to insult her. Right? Probably, yes. It's, it's meant to say you are a lady, not a knight. And right. And you're going to play that part, while right? You're it's here. more suitable clothes, like you know, we don't. Um, I mean, you don't got any of the mountain shit left over, any of his like right. mail or something. She'd be more comfortable in. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, this dress is an insult. It is. It is. I also really appreciate Bolton's. Uh, you know, I thought you'd learned a lesson about overplaying your <laughs> position. I mean, clearly an implied hand there at the end of the sentence. Yeah, it's like I feel like it's interesting that they're making Roos this clever guy. And even before that scene with the the phrase, we always think of the phrase as these bumbling inbred idiots. But they were they were the ones with the upper hand and they were actually fairly clever in that negotiation. Yeah. Like when, you know, Rob starts to be like, we're in the middle of a war. I can't stop and do a wedding. And he's like, well, you know, for some reason, our father's gotten really leery about long term, long term engagements now. And like, what's Rob going to say to that? Right. You know, you fucking made your bed, dude. Now what are you going to do? Yeah. Now uh, Edmure's got a lie in it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like that it's not just a wholly virtuous to get to be clever on, on this show. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like in, in previous seasons, it's it's essentially been like Tyrion gets to shine a little bit. But there's there's clever people throughout the kingdoms playing on all sides of the court. Yeah. Uh, speaking of this next scene where Tywin suggests the marriage of Loras and Cersei to Elena. Uh, Elena is not having it, so Tywin tries to play the gay Loras card of shame. Elena, however, trumps that card with the incest card of shame. Mm, Ace of Spade on the shame yep. on the shame deck. <laughs> uh, noting that Elena doesn't want to lose the potential children Loras could bear by marrying him off to someone who might be too old to have children, Tywin presents another option. He can name Loras to the Kingsguard, guaranteeing that he will have no children. Elena is forced to consent, and that's the thing, because like. Stone fucking cold and brilliant play by Tywin. Because Tywin knows Olenna's position, that she can advise all she wants, but her idiot man-children are going to do what they want. And Tywin's also the authority on idiot man-children that are skilled warriors <laughs> taking oaths and getting stuck in the situation because he's yeah. dealing that with Jamie now. Like, he doesn't really have an heir, and you know that he's got to be thinking of ways to get twist a high septon's arm or mm-hmm. dig through some crazy ass uh religious commentary and try to find a way to get jamie out of this thing without losing the shred <laughs> of his honor that he still has in the land mm-hmm. but yeah he that's what 
he knows goes, oh, you want a sword swaller and a Kingsguard? He goes, no, I want a skilled warrior who takes his vows seriously. Mm-hmm. Which shows that, like, Tywin can talk smack all he wants about the, you know, unnatural behavior, but he's also a realist. He's yeah. not going to say, like, well, a gay man can't be a skilled swordsman because he sure. fucking is. Yeah. Like, Loras is one of the probably top five swords in the whole kingdom. Yeah. Uh, kind of surprised that Elena doesn't see this eventuality, this mm. this third path that Tywin's going to take here. Yeah. Because she seems like she's on top of everything. Uh, but, but you know uh, but what? I didn't see it, so... Here's the thing is, I don't think that she didn't see it because when when it's almost like she kind of smiles like, I wondered if you were going to see... Like, like a chess master might see that he made a mistake or they're not in a favorable position, but they don't know if the other person's going to be able to exploit it. But she doesn't seem to have prepared for it hmm. at the very but how least. how do you, like... I mean that's the, 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 the that's the thing it's a it's the Trump there there is no right and way that's what I'm saying that, like that, that sometimes I feel like fans we see this in later seasons I'm not going to talk spoilers but some characters they get to the end of their plot and there's no more like no matter how resourceful and smart and clever they are they have extended themselves onto the last branch and there's not much to do but cut you know but but to, to saw it off underneath them and yeah. that doesn't mean they suddenly were dumb or they went out like chump or they just you know got outplayed mm-hmm. so uh it, it can happen and it, this is uh olena she's she's played it as best she can uh she was betrayed uh the side that she picked wasn't as ruthless and clever as the side tywin picked and tywin <laughs> fully lives up to his reputation and yeah you know i it is because like the thing that's interesting is her apparent lack of emotion like or like an um, I don't, an inappropriate emotional reaction to being outplayed and what this means to her family. I mean, I guess on like a one side, it's like what it means her family is. You know, her daughter's going to be queen, mm-hmm. and uh, her son is going to be married, and probably will get a sire or two out of the old queen, which is going to make her married to the Lannisters for in perpetuity. Uh, well, that's the thing. I, I think Elena has a view like Littlefinger does, where you know, right? She's not settling here she's not giving up the day is still early right uh she'll figure out another way to get the thing that she wants right and you know if she signs the thing with eyes narrowed arms crossed tywin is going to i don't think tywin's ever going to let his guard down no no, but like that's part of playing the game you play to percentages it's like um you know i like the detail in like that um uh, that that master and commander movie we watched where like captain jack aubrey has his men chipping the rust off the cannonballs like it's like a one or two percent advantage in battle, but you take right. it anyway because if the other guy doesn't, that's a one or two percent advantage. Yeah. So smiling and trying to put Tywin at ease, even though that probably is not possible, it's she's still playing the game, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to, I think, wonder. Yeah, she's she's out of moves in this here chamber, but what will she do next? Yeah, she's in check to go with yes. the analogy. She's not checkmated. And the other thing is, Tywin's got to realize too that like he has outmaneuvered her politically, but. Mm. She could take her ball and go home at any time, and then what's he going to yeah, do? Yeah, take her 50,000 cattle. Exactly. 50, then, she's, yeah. then he's right back to Stannis outside his door, a people starving, uh, Yeah, it, and and his royal family being trapped in the walls of the city with these people that are starving to death. Like, it's not good. So, But I do feel like Elena views that probably as the last that's resort. The nuclear, that's the right? nuclear like, option. She she's going to take a step back from this, and she's going to say, "Okay, how do I still get what I want?" Right. While not pushing that nuclear option button. Uh, yeah, so no, exactly. We'll see. I'm excited. You know, I I feel like the game is just heating up. Yeah. Between those two. All right, we're back to the climb. A huge crack develops on the wall, and an enormous chunk falls off, sending everyone except Tormund swinging. 
Uh, Aurel begins to cut John and Egret loose to save himself, but John's able to regain his grip just before the rope is cut, saving both himself and Egret. Uh, I noticed that both of them scream when they fall, <laughs> so they, neither of them have anything to yeah, worry about. Yeah, the whole half dozen wildlings that died definitely died screaming. Yeah, uh, I heard them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is... I, it's this scene and the one where they finally get to the top of the wall where you look at Orel and he's like, just kind of pissed that he didn't kill John. Yeah, I wonder. And, and there's no repercussion whatsoever. John doesn't get up and try and but you know, cause, him. Cause I was thinking like he he made the absolute right call. Like Tormund made a ho- heroic strength save uh-huh. on his. He rolled an, a natural twenty, but he's still just barely hanging by his axe pick, and he might have separated his shoulder. But like, he wasn't the guy. He is not cutting the, the rope, and he's not the guy screaming right. "cut the rope." And he's you also know? the guy he's screaming the guy who who says, "no, no. don't." Yeah. But like I, I, I think from in wildling culture, that's not considered a dick move because it's it's probably the purely Darwinistic best move to make. Probably, yeah. Um, and also, it turned like, out to be the wrong one because John was able to swing over to safety, and right, right, they could have rectified this without cutting the rope. But, but then the other way to look at that is, well, he saved himself anyway. So like, if mm-hmm. he, you know. But you get to the top of the wall, you fucker, you tried to kill me. Yeah, I wonder, like, because he... And there should be at least a scuffle. Right. I mean, John John wants to join the Seventh Mile High Club first, <laughs> but yeah, there, there'll probably be... Because there's already bad blood between these two anyway. Oh, obviously, I mean, that's the yeah. other thing. Like, if all things being equal, I think Oral made a, a questionable, but probably a call that no wildling would fault him for, but, you know, we know sure. that there's bad blood there. Yeah. Uh, so... All right, uh, that's a that's a real big chunk that falls off the wall. This is not the weeping that they're talking about on warm day. They, I feel like they might have put a partial hole in this thing. Yeah, you and you also wonder like um, how many of these, like how often does this happen to the mm-hmm. wall? Because like you know the wall's eight thousand years old. If this is happening once a century, yeah, that's a that's that's you'd think it'd start getting pretty narrow and skinny up there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's a magic or, wall. You know, or if they're too close to one of the castles along the wall, they might have heard it, you know? Right. I assume right. they went as far away from the man castles probably, as possible. Probably. Probably. But, you know, if they have the thousand men that John claims. Yeah, yeah. Might have heard that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we go to Loris and Sansa sitting awkwardly talking about their future marriage. Uh, they bond over their hatred of King's Landing. And the Lannister children, being Tyrion and Cersei, uh, lament their shared fate. And after questioning Cersei, Tyrion deduces that it was Joffrey who tried to have him killed. He's safe now that Tywin is back, however, because um, everyone fears Tywin, except for the Tyrells, who will soon own Joffrey. And they wonder who's going to tell Sansa the bad news. Which It's Tyrion. It, yeah. So might as well go ahead and throw that scene in there, too. Yeah, I mean, which whichever way it goes, he's truly fucked. Because he's, he's thinking about how the fuck am I going to square right. this with my my lover and my forced wife yeah and what really sucks is Sansa's is literally the only one that is not miserable about this she's the only one that doesn't know currently yeah yeah because uh, you can tell how like stilted the conversation is between Loris and Sansa. Like I, I don't know quite yet that Loris knows that no. this plan isn't going to go off as as planned. Yeah, I don't think he knows. I think he's more bummed about Just, marrying a woman. No, no, like, totally. Yeah. But I'm saying like the Sansa's the only one that's still delighted, and she's interpreting Loris's stilted conversation as just like nerves or right. 
you know, and she's also because she herself is feeling a little nervous about it. And I think she's like pleasantly surprised that he's got like a lot of the same dreams as she is. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't expect uh-huh. a knight to be this uh, conversant on the different subtle differences between brooches and pins, and yeah, was laced sleeves and large weddings and the guests and the plans that you have to tournament. Sure, you're gonna you're gonna gonna want to play in the tournaments, but oh wow, I didn't I didn't know I had a man this this versed in I don't know wedding planning. Yeah, uh, it's been dreaming of it. But I mean, yeah, and but but there is some genuine bonding over how much they hate King's Landing and the terrible people here. Um, and you it's wonder like how much of Lor- Loras is he thinking still about Rinley and like what had happened if he had never shaved his chest at one time and uh-huh. you know like like some 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 regret all around that's mm-hmm. that's in the background of this conversation above and beyond just being bummed being trapped in a loveless bearded marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you want to say about Tyrion and Cersei? Like it's a great scene. Yeah, it is a great scene. Um, I, I'm kind of surprised that Cersei is willing to admit here that Tyrion saved them. That that was sort of shocking to me that she would right. have anything good to say about Tyrion. Yeah. Um, maybe I I have the wrong view of Cersei's view of Tyrion. Although, well, like you hear all the stories about when they were kids, right? Right. And, and you see all the the venom that they're spitting back and forth. Right. And you get those impressions, and then she's willing to admit that. Huh. I think part of it is that she's really whipped low, because like uh-huh. you know, Tyrion's already underlined the thing that they both know, which is we're being shipped off to hell by a boat you built. Yeah, like you literally are the proximate cause for all of this misery happening. No, you suggested it in the first place. <laughs> right, right. Like, what would have been the worst thing that could have happened if they got Sansa down south and married Dolores? Mm-hmm. That the Tyrells have a little stronger of a position. Like, I mean, that's that's literally what it is. Like, it'd be a stronger position over Lannisters, but yeah, yeah. And and, and I the, and the key to the North, as as some people seem to think, right, right. But then, like, you know, he's, he's unpacking like the whole. It makes sense as Joffrey because, like, you know, Cersei's stupid, but she's not as inexperienced to think that it would be a good idea for a king's guard to murder the hand on the battlefield in front of the entire army as he's leading the vanguard. Yeah. Like that's some um, that's some that's some grade A bullshit you're planning right there, Joffrey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Uh, what also this kind of goes to the heart of something we've been debating, which is could Tywin actually bring Joffrey to heal? And Cersei seems to think that he would be able to do so, and I think Tyrion seems to think unless Joffrey's under the influence of Marjorie, right? Because mm. she's she's very scared of that. Right. Eventuality. Right. But even then, like Tywin could could I don't know. It's it's like I, I how, think how far has. would Tywin go? Like, you know, would would Tywin eventually assassinate his own grandson? Right. Would Tywin, you know, Assassin- have Mar- assassinate like, his daughter have or his grandson? Have her fall off of a high parapet because right. whatever. She have ca- Jamie push her out of tower. <laughs> she she, she caught a she caught a bad cold that she ended up dying from because she didn't wear enough clothing. Uh, <laughs> it's not quite <laughs> we as tried warm. Trying to tell you it wasn't as warm in King's Landing, but you know, what are you gonna do? You can't tell them Tyrells anything. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's interesting. Interesting speculation. Yeah. All right. Tyrion interrupts Sansa's gown fitting to tell her that they're going to be married. Unfortunately, he has to do it right in front of Shay. That that line that he gives about sometimes you think you want to hear a thing, 
But then you realize you wish you'd heard it under entirely different circumstances. And he's talking to Shay, yeah. right? But Sansa has no idea. Oh, it's because, so good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so really good. good. And they, it's, they have a really great sense in this scene, too, yeah. for getting out early, right? Mm-hmm. We don't need to see that conversation nope. play out. It's the implication of it. Yep. And I just, my imagination can do better than they would have ever done. Right. And there's plenty of time left in the season for Shay to make Tyrion's life hell. Yeah. And to make a whole mockery of this this thing, uh, which will almost assuredly happen. Uh, probably starting next episode. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, th- there's also an implied line here that um, Shay knows about Loris's sexual preferences. Why do you say that? Because Sansa says something about the him knowing a whole bunch about weddings and being excited about it and she's like yeah i'm sure he does right right and, right, and it's right. not in the tone that like oh he's no, a, he's gonna be a good she, husband she, for she, you she's in the stone like, she yeah. knows the score but she's right. what why why bring sansa down yeah it, it just it i guess underscores how oblivious naive something sansa is mm-hmm. just you know she's got this wishful idea in her head Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's young and inexperienced, and she just doesn't get what's up here. Right. No, it's just it's, it's awkward, awkward all around. Yeah. Uh, so then we go to what I think is the best scene in the episode. Mm-hmm. Varys finds Littlefinger counting the blades in the Iron Throne. Uh, Littlefinger reveals that he discovered Roz was his informant, and that he thwarted Varys' plan to marry Sansa to the Tyrells. And he gives this great speech about chaos being a ladder that he intends to climb. As we see Roz dead and full of crossbow bolts at Joffrey's hand and Sansa weeping as she watches Littlefinger's ship sail away, that's, I think. Yeah, that's the the ship he promised that would take her away from this. And now right. and the one that she turned down and now it's all turned to ash. It has. In her face and she's just utterly left in despair. Mm-hmm. Um, that's speech. rough. Yeah, the speech is great. The speech is so damn good. And what's interesting is um, I, there's a lot of really, really clever stuff, like the you know whole one thousand. It's like, yeah, but I've, yeah. it's it's a thousand blades of Aegon's enemies that he forged with his dragon fire into this fucking chair. Mm-hmm. And Littlefinger's like, I've counted. There's not even two hundred. And Varys the, the, like, I'm Varys sure is, you have. And then Varys said, Oh, it's the it's the Li- uh, Liza Aaron of chairs. <laughs> yes, so good. It's so hilarious and. Then, like, I, I feel like the other interesting thing is, like, Varys is dawning horror and realizing, like, how monstrous Littlefinger is. And this is... Uh-huh. And this, how he outplayed him. This whole thing about, like, oh, this is just a story we agree to tell ourselves over and over until we forget it's a lie. It's, you know, I for the millionth time, I'm going to mention this fucking Sapiens book that I just got done finished reading. But there's an interesting point, uh, if I can sum up the entire book in, like, 30 seconds, is... One of the the first thirds of the book is a meditation on how at one time to- to- like it's it's so weird, right? That like how many types of bears are there? How many types of birds are there? How many types of eight? You know, uh, d- squirrels even. It's only one type of human on the whole fucking planet, Homo sapiens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's a very recent thing. Like Homo sapiens shared this planet with the Neanderthals, Homo erectus, and there's like two other hominids. Um, so like our our, our brothers and, spe- and sisters in, in the species. Mm-hmm. Uh, but very quickly, Homo sapiens out-competed uh, them and probably killed them. And he speculates, even, and that's even, it's, it's not just raw intelligence because from studies of skeletons and stuff, scientists are pretty sure that like Neanderthals had a larger brain structure, hmm. uh, even more raw potential, because that's a, a, a good predictor of intelligence, a mm-hmm. brain size, the body size. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, Neanderthals were stouter, but usually smaller than humans and had larger brains. So you'd think they'd smarter. They'd be smarter. And what scientists have concluded is um, from examinations of their archaeology and their cultures is that uh, Homo sapiens had this capacity for essentially magical thinking to invent because like all apes who are like our cousins on evolutionary stage, they, they can form into bands of up to 50 to 150 and cooperate well any beyond there. And it just, they, they split off like, because you can't, that that's the limit of how many people you can personally care about. And that's what held the Neanderthals down is because what homo sapiens were able to do is say, well, you see here is, there's a God that wants you to do and live like these things and we can all unify around the idea of this god this like this universal god and we can pretend about things like that there's there's things like money that there's these beads or these shiny trinkets have value and we can trade them for like it's all fiction right you know you hear some of like uh uh, the, the people that say that like the monetary policy is bad because it's just fake money. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like uh-huh. I used to think those people just didn't understand politics. Now I know they don't understand anthropology because mm. that is the thing that allows us to organize commerce on a global scale. Mm-hmm. Because without those abilities to be like, this cloth means America. And if this patch is on a person's clothes, I know even though you're from Arkansas and I'm from New York, that when we're on the battle that we fight for the same thing and we believe in the same things, we can unite millions of people and billions of people together in these common causes. Yeah. Littlefinger's essentially saying all that's bullshit and it's a lie. And Varys sees how dangerous that is uh-huh. because you're right. And a universal cosmic re- that's, that's all bullshit and there's no reason to do anything but completely selfish selfish acts. But if you don't buy into the fiction, you're never going to get beyond the feral tribe. Like, Littlefinger could not create the civilization that he wants to rule by deceit and trickery. Exactly. And I think that's the the true joke here is that Littlefinger right. is, is shirking those ideas. And yet, if he gets what he wants, he'll have right. to then reinvest in those ideas right? right. to lead – the seven kingdoms that he's talking about exactly owning and that's the that's the paradox of these people that want to rule over things that they themselves their own philosophies would never be allowed to build like right you yeah. know neanderthals like and let and that's the other thing is like maybe if neanderthals had another ten thousand years they would have developed those structures those uh, cognitive structures to allow them to compete mm-hmm. but too fucking bad the same way that europeans invented gun, you know steel and ships and glow like like they're just like a couple hundred years ahead of the other maybe a thousand years ahead of the rest of the globe and they take things over um neanderthals if they had but they didn't because we fucking exterminated them um but i don't know i thought that was that 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 really is horrifying that a person like littlefinger is arguing against essentially destruction of civilization because civilization even at its basic like just a thousand people living together trying to farm does not work unless we believe these entirely fictional structures like government and mm. politics and religion and money like it just doesn't work i mean maybe Littlefinger realizes that what he's doing here is a lot like demoing a house to build uh, a new one on top of the the land right like right. maybe he can tear down the old government cause the chaos which he can then climb right and, and once then, he's in a position he can rebuild it brick by brick yeah because if like, in his own image like a smart tyrant will use these lies to sweep away the order and then build it right back up exactly, like yeah. i'm going to now make sure everyone knows that i the high septon's got my back and like mm-hmm. yeah um but i don't know seems like these types don't 
<laughs> that, that that's that they do hit their limit they do run out of runway yeah. and then things crash and how many people die along whether it's going to be a thousand or hundreds of millions that die depends on <laughs> how how high they've climbed that fucking ladder yeah and i don't think he cares about that at all right right he will cause as much chaos as he can as long as he can end up at the top of that ladder yeah uh you know this is obviously the real meaning of the the climb um he says as much he talks about the climb uh, many people, which I, I guess Roz is included in that, oh, God. try and fail and never get another chance. Uh, yeah. Roz is done. Yeah. Uh, she's dead, and Joffrey's a monster. Um, yep. There's a question that I think you can ask about to what extent Marjorie was involved with this, because we just see at the end that like uh, Joffrey's there alone. Yeah. But I felt like a couple episodes ago, you know, Joffrey was kind of fishing for like this kind of idea and Marjorie was giving him kind of like fuel for that fire. Maybe he wanted to try it for himself before he shared it with his bride. Maybe that's <laughs> gonna, I mean, who the yeah. fuck knows? He's a crazy person. But uh, Littlefinger here is very smart. You know, he he takes yeah. what he's got as a loss here. Right. Uh, uh, Roz, who is actively working against him. Bad investment, as he says. Yep. And he turns that to his favor. Right. He he <laughs> rightfully spots the king. Uh, wanting to get a little experience with murder, mm. and he uses he takes his investment and flips it right essentially to the king. And it also shows bro- it uh, because I you know this is something still uh, that the people debate like when Varys says I only serve the realm is he really true or is like I mean I feel like yeah. this scene if you buy the acting if you buy the performance and his real horror over what Littlefinger is saying that like. It's closer to being true than a lie. Yeah, I do. Um, but, like, Roz is a really heroic figure because we saw that Littlefinger gave her this speech that, like, I once had a bad investment and she didn't, mm-hmm. you know, this was after he allowed uh, Joffrey's forces to come in and kill every bastard child of Joffrey, or, I'm sorry, Robert. Yeah. Uh, and he said, I had this bad investment and went, and, uh, you know, essentially I gave her away to someone who tortured and killed her to death. And she knew, like, this isn't something that she had some Pollyanna view. She knew that was the potential when she started working for Varys. But yeah. she saw that these people were, you know, that Joffrey was a monster and needed to be stopped. And Littlefinger was a, mo- a monster enabling the monster. So even though she died, I think that Roz is one of the many unsung heroes of the realm. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, as Littlefinger's ship sails away, Sansa is weeping and it's... It's a sad moment for her because all of her hopes have been dashed. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's now stuck in King's Landing. Right. Uh, and she's, you know, stuck in this fate that's been planned for her. Right. And, you know, what? what is, how is she going to recover from this? Because this is something like, you know, as she's, again, as she's watching that ship go away, knowing that she could have been safe right now mm-hmm. but she couldn't help but going for the brass ring her own kind of like ambition or you know still holding on to that girlish hope of like marrying the 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 gallant knight and having the happy ever after uh you know she did she she did the opposite of climbing the ladder of chaos she fell down the pit of despair <laughs> so uh, and and this is this is an interesting move by littlefinger right he's kind of given up a piece he's given up a pawn here um in his quest to consolidate the power in the north because sansa being the key to the north in a lot of people's eyes uh is just gonna stay in king's landing now and Littlefinger mm. is off he's got and she's gonna be married to the most powerful family like yeah trying to outmaneuver 
Just trying to outmaneuver Sansa from underneath them is really going to be tricky. It seems like an impossible task to me. Um, mm. And then he's so in the north. He's got these. He's got slash not got Harrenhal. Uh He's got the title anyway. Right. Um, depends on who becomes the the ruler after this war. Right. Um, and then he's got you know what's what's going on in the not the Vale. Yep. Is it the Vale? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, up with with Arryn. Uh So. He he's kind of doing the same thing that Elena here is doing. He's taking a step back. He's giving up a pawn, but I don't think he's checkmated yet. No, right. I think he's going to kind of... And he also curried favor with the Lannisters, right? He right. arranged a lot of stuff here to make this happen. Uh, I do think he's in a slightly stronger position than before, but he has not attained the goal that he was going toward. Right, right. So, I, I don't know. Uh, I, this... This season is shaping up to be like really politically charged mm-hmm. and a lot of like subterfuge and intrigue and that's the thing that I come to Game of Thrones for. But even I love it so much. E- even not even losing his bid to just have Sansa and and wrap up everything, like he's yeah. still the going to be I mean again he's depending how and depending uh, how the war yeah. ends, he's the only one that I know of that's both the the lord's paramount of two major kingdoms in the land. Yeah, no, he he gave up a pawn and he right. took a rook. That'd be right? like, like it'd be like if if like Ned was the lord of Winterfell and the Vale, you know, like yeah. that's just doesn't happen. Like uh-huh. and, and to go from a very minor vassal lord of this really poor part of the kingdom to uh you know, owning two huge sections of it and some of the more wealthy and prestigious ones at, at that, it's like pretty fucking crazy. If I were to use a ladder analogy compared to the wall, it's yeah. like John and Egret. You know, they fell a little bit. Right. Yeah. They caught themselves. Sure. They're climbing back up. It. Sure. They're still good. Yeah. They're still going to make it to the top, I yeah. hope. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And speaking of John and Egret, uh, the climbers make it to the top of the wall and Egret gets to take in the view. John shows her the southern view. And they kiss. And the Southern View is not a euphemism. It's simply he turns her around and they look at the the lands beyond the wall from yep. her perspective. Yep. Uh, although it could be. You could be forgiven for mistaking that. Sure. They, you know, if they're making, if Sam's making wood jokes, you can make uh, sure. South, South, Southern View <laughs> jokes. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of a nice moment. You know, I, although I will say it's tinged with how much of this is real. Right. Because I really don't know coming from John. Like, where do his loyalties lie? I mean, I think it's like, I think he's Schrodinger's traitor because right now he sees himself as still on his mission for the Night's Watch, but he's still also very much in love with this this young woman yeah. who has shown him a lot of admirable qualities uh, of the wildlings, you know? Sure, they might cut your dick off for betraying them, but also they have a much more democratic, free tradition than almost anywhere else in the Seven Kingdoms. Sure, um, and that's like like the fact that Jon Snow wouldn't be a pitiable bastard north of the Wall. Yeah, uh, he could, you know, like like uh, all of North of the Wall is essentially the Night's Watch, where you can rise as far as as your talents will take you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also might get your dick cut off. There's checks and balances I mean, in all forms of yeah. government. <laughs> For sure. Uh, dickmocracy. <laughs> and with that, that's the end of the recap. Uh-huh. You know, before we get to the feedback, uh, some people consider the uh, Bald Move Club uh, just a fiction that we tell children mm-hmm. to make them behave in the forums. Uh, but I see it as a, a ladder of club-offs that the... <laughs> 
<laughs> I I can't yes, do this with a straight keep face. Keep going. Keep you're doing uh, the, the, such the, the, a great the, job. The, you, you, the the only few talented few can climb and use yes. you, and you you climb it with your visa and your mastercards. <laughs> One get your visa in there real deep and don't that's just right. make sure it's in there before you let go. That's right. And if your credit card expires, don't don't scream when you fall because you, you don't want our last memories of you to be that. Uh if you want, you can go to club.baldmove.com, climb that lub that that lub of Clubos, <laughs> climb that ladder of Clubos, and you get you you can get you can you can possibly make it to the top and see the mm-hmm. south side where there's a bunch of exclusive content, both audio and video, uh, tons of cool features, our spoiler-filled movie reviews, VIP access to forums, ad-free feeds, tons of stuff. You can find it if, if you're just curious. Go to club.baldmove.com. Won't cost you anything. You can keep your credit cards in your ice sheaths or whatever the hell you keep them in your wallets your purses and you can just preview all this content see if it's see if it sounds right for you and if it does you can whip it out and for 30 days try it risk-free club.baldmove.com commission podcasts are an awesome feature here at bald move that allows you the individual listener to decide what we talk about for a single podcast the community loves it because it often leads to fun fan-favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcast on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full, spoiler-filled, first-run movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members, with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is reward unto itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. try to make it super easy to support making podcasts at Bald Move. Just join the club. 
But some people aren't the joining type, or maybe they're already in the club but want to add a little bit of gratuity for an especially great season of coverage, or for a podcast that really spoke to them or gave them that bit of support in a tough time. For these, and for whatever other reason you might have, our tip jar is always open. Head over to support.ballmove.com and click the donate option to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Once again, check out support.baldmove.com for all the great ways to help me and Jim keep making the podcast you love. Let's get into the feedback. All right. Uh, we have very little non-spoiler feedback, uh, just a single one that I actually had to clean up a little bit to make it non-spoiler feedback, but that's fine. Oh, okay. That's fine. Uh, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com if you want to send in feedback. Uh, or on the forums, forums.baldmove.com, if you just want to discuss it amongst your fellow fans. First up, and actually last up for the, non, the non-spoiler stuff, is Alfonso. I've always been bothered by the idea that no one ever explored west of Westeros. I know that Brandon the Shipwright sailed west and was never seen again. Is that one story the reason no one else has ever tried to explore the west? <laughs> Do the books give a good reason? It seems bizarre that a seafaring culture like the people of the Iron Islands would literally never sail west when they're on the edge of the known world. That would be funny. If if it was literally like, well, that guy went out. He never came back. We're just not going to try. Right? Again. Yeah. Like you saw what happened. We <laughs> yeah. all saw him go and not come back. <laughs> right. And and that just spread across Westeros. Nobody ever tried again. Right. You know what's funny is because like most of what we think we know about seafaring cultures and their understanding of the world is su- such bullshit. Like we have got this. I like I personally grew up the idea that people thought the world was flat until 1492 and Columbus sailed. That's what and, they teach you in, in middle right. school. Yeah. But like, it's like what, what I've since appreciated is any culture that can sail three miles off the shore we'll knows know. the world yeah. is a fucking globe because yeah. you see the ship slowly disappear and, and when it comes back you see the top of the mast and then it sails and then it's hull and like they're not stupid. Yeah, they had you know they had sun. I mean, they're, they they simply don't know what's out there, right? They yeah, realize these, the shape of it. These just Greek not the, guys before yeah. Jesus was born predicted the size, the circumference of the Earth within a few hundred miles. Like they're yeah. crazy smart. Uh-huh. So yeah, because um, here's the thing. I'm just using that as an example of me who who was born in 1976 and my profoundly wrong belief that like Christopher Columbus discovered the Americas mm-hmm. when. I and by that time the learned people of the world already knew that like uh first of all humans discovered America 20,000 years ago. Uh-huh. Because Columbus came there and there's already humans. Well but that the, was that was that dude who went off in the boat and they never heard from him again. <laughs> right. <laughs> he t- it took yeah. a long time but he finally got he, there. He found a Neanderthal, he fucked it and right. and s- such is life. But but if you want to be pedantic and say, well, it's first European, Christopher Columbus not the first European. Yeah. Uh Eric uh Leifson wasn't that the guy? Uh or Leaf, Eric, no, Eric the Leaf, Red? Leaf Erickson uh, landed in North America 400 years before Columbus was even born. Yeah. But you ask a Spaniard, and they probably didn't know that. you got to understand that Westeros is essentially 1200-era England. And yeah. and there are a lot of ignorant people there because right. most of them can't read right. or write. Right. Yeah. Like, like it's other thing. It's also understated that Westeros is not nearly as learned and cultured as the average free city over in Essos, in my opinion. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Like you've got, you know, like because most of the people there are slavers. Like I think you're like supposed to understand business? that Valeria was like classical Rome, and they brought a lot of learning and understanding okay. and technology, and you know, Westeros is 
like the the Celtic lands that were large, like you know, still okay. gotcha. still had that cross colonization, but like you know, um, and I don't know, I'm probably stepping out of my anthropological background. Um, but my my point is, it's 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 not it doesn't blow my mind at all that uh, the person in Westeros would would assume that nothing but dragons and bullshit laid off to the west. Mm-hmm. Like there is no Westeros, Westeros, or, or Westerestos over yeah. there. But that doesn't mean there's not. It just means that the map isn't isn't done being writ yet. So mm-hmm. uh, and that's the non-spoiler feedback we got. Uh, now is the time where if you're not caught up on the books and the TV show, uh, and you're afraid of spoilers, you should probably want to turn it off if you're uh, you're on if you're on your first journey through the Game of Thrones because uh, we're about to get into spoilers right now. Spoiler alert: Bran lives for four more seasons. He does, and he grows, and he grows, and he grows. He becomes bigger than Hodor. He's ten foot tall. Uh, he weighs a million Crushes pounds. Giants under his feet. Right. And he has convulsive visions. He has three dicks. Uh, still can't use his legs though. Still can't use his legs. It's unfortunate. Yeah. He walks around like the tripods in uh, the War of the Worlds. Is how he <laughs> has locomotion with his three dicks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, guess what? Theon huh. torture count swells up to five. Five. Boom. It's, it's torture no matter how you cut it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got... Uh, I, I'm starting to think that, yes, there was a lot of torture this season. There's a lot of torture. There's a lot of torture. I found it very... I, I, did I mention this in the podcast? I know I was I was corresponding to someone back and forth about... Because this one person said, uh, are you actually watching torture sequences? Because I'm fast-forwarding through them, and I <laughs> but I'm afraid that I'm missing something, and I, like, I, I don't think so. Not really. Like, the point is... This man is de is is dehumanizing another man and destroying the person that they were. And and if you already buy into that, yeah, you don't need to see it. Yeah, how 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 long it takes for you to get that is 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 all up to you. And whether you know, there's also um, some people have more stomach. Like like again, Eli Roth instead of the double D's mm-hmm. making this might have had five four times as much torture of Theon. No, I mean he this really shit likes doesn't, it. doesn't bother me. Yeah, I'm. I'm a fan of some of the Eli Roth stuff. Right. I, I kind of like that stuff, but right. I don't know. A lot of people would not. Uh, so one thing I wanted to talk about as far as like forward looking things, as that's, that's how we kind of like start these things off. Uh, Egret saying, don't betray me, Jon Snow. Mm-hmm. I think here is where Jon, like, like Egret's speech here started hatching the idea that maybe if I'm if she's my lady and I'm her man, maybe she's going to have just as much trouble betraying me. Maybe I can see her as like like us living at Castle Black or some like like there's some middle way that then, huh. you know, because like in the end, uh, they, he definitely betrays the wildlings, but he doesn't kill Egret. That's that's Ollie. Of course, I think Egret is about to uh, put, a, him, put, a, put a yeah, put put an end to Jon Snow. So. Maybe he's thinking, I could become the Lord Commander and maybe change the rules. Right, right, right. So right, I right. could keep a, a woman in my quarters. Right, yeah. I don't know. Eager I don't see, know, I, I, I need to show you Mole Town, and uh-huh. you're going to have to live here. And <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, no, I, I I don't know if Eager would be down with that. but Although she would be better equipped to deal with it let's yeah. say than because that's what, like, like at the end like and on final analysis what do you think john snow's like scale of betrayal versus true blue the night's black or the the night's black the the night's watches i, I mean i he eventually man does he choose the night's watch that's tough 
He definitely does not That's like. Tough. He definitely fights against the wildlings. Yeah, he absolutely does. But, but in the would, long run, but would he kill Egret? In the long run, Jon Snow also fought to integrate the wildlings with the other North because he sees the Lara. Uh-huh. And I think that like if Egret had survived, you can easily see her standing proudly by his side, and vice versa. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. Like his loyalties changed. You know, at some point they go from the Night's Watch to the realm the realms of men yeah and these people are all men yeah right um yeah uh also the other thing i want to talk about is melisandre's prophecy as you, you said here yeah yeah brown eyes blue eyes green eyes i mean obviously eyes that's forever. that's a nod to her Arya's turn as a faceless man okay that she puts on these different faces to have different eyes and she's britain and and she she uses that to kill people yeah, um, and she's still doing that. We saw with her evisceration of the phrase. Uh, Melisandre also last season gave a prophecy that she will return to Westeros and meet her death there. Yeah, uh, and, and she has this prophecy in this scene where she says, "She put those together." Arya and I will meet again, yeah. She's going to return to Westeros and die, and she's also going to meet Arya again. And we know that it doesn't. I thought it happened in this episode, but it must be like the next episode. Arya puts, Arya her, on puts her on the list, right? Yeah. So it does seem pretty certain that somehow Arya will lead to the death of Melisandre. It seems like it. Yeah. So uh, a lot of people, you know... Uh, <laughs> Although a lot of people who go on Arya's list just die. They just yeah, get killed by yeah, other Yeah, yeah, Because I was thinking like that because like uh, Davos, if he lays side of the Red Lady, he's going to kill her. Like there's yeah. like she's under death penalty for, uh, in a lot of different places. For sure. Uh, that's all I had. Did you? Is there anything you want to talk about it or... Uh, yeah, there's this one other thing when um, Tyrion and Cersei are talking. Uh, where Tyrion mentions that Joffrey could have just had him poisoned, which I wonder if that sticks in Cersei's brain when Joffrey is actually poisoned. Yeah, later on, probably, and and that's why she immediately just jumps to Tyrion did it. Tyrion right. did it. It's one of, probably one of the reasons. Yeah, that's it's definitely not going to play well later. Yeah. Um, anything else? Uh, I don't think so. Because no. Lacey has, uh, starting up front, just coincidentally has some feedback along those lines. Okay. In this episode, Elena shields her cup from a supplemental pour of wine from Taiwan after she just asked him about the twin cest and if he had homosexual desires. <laughs> it okay. is pretty funny that, like, he's like, yeah, when you're in boarding school, you never, never suck a dick. Yeah. You never sucked it. No, no, really? Never took it up the bum. No, no fingers up your butt. Really? Really? I don't believe right. that, Taiwan. <laughs> Uh, is this incredible foreshadowing? Do you think she had to forethought to uh, her poisonous demise, or was it just her re- hesitance to have a Lannister-level alcohol in her blood, per her um, remark to Tyrion last episode? Yeah, I think she just wanted to keep her wits about her in that scene. Yeah, but I, I, I actually think it's I think it's probably pretty smart when you're dealing with a dude as treacherous as T- uh, Tywin to guard your cup around them. Yeah, because poison is a long and time-tested way to kill people since antiquity mm-hmm. down to the modern era. Uh, so, like, I think that yeah, and the, the fact that she ends up meeting her end with poison wine is probably something the double D's are pretty pleased with themselves at arriving at. Because mm-hmm. uh, I doubt that's a Martin detail. Because like uh, we're going to talk about this know. a little bit, but Martin did an interview, like the one, the longest and most comprehensive he's done. In, in recent memory um, is this like happened two days ago where he was like talking about Did a they bunch ask of stuff. Did how to pronounce damp air again? No, they didn't. Okay. But he mentioned about how the show has killed a lot more people than the books will at this point. Huh. Uh, and different people. 
So like that's right. like and you know just so many interesting things you can talk about with like you know who who is his regret death and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk to some of the things I think I think I included that in the feedback, but we'll see. Okay, uh, Roderick K. Watching season three again has reminded me of what an amazing character Littlefinger is, or I should say, rather was. Yeah, I was always a Littlefinger fanboy, and watching him manipulate and use everyone from Sansa to Roose Bolton to Tyrion all to further his goals was awesome. But at least for me, completely ruined by the fact that not only does it lead nowhere, but we, uh, but that we in the last few seasons, it seems to wander around not doing anything more than make dumb decisions and cryptic remarks to people. Hmm. My question is, do you think Littlefinger's life or death will be radically different in the books? In an interview, George has said that Littlefinger is the character most different in the books, as everyone trusts him, is completely unaware of his agenda, whereas in the show, everyone's favorite line seems to be, only a fool would trust Littlefinger. Mm-hmm. Finally, everything Littlefinger has done since the show passed the books has been redundant or stupid, from giving <laughs> Sansa to the Boltons, to making no use of the conflict of, huh. in the fact that he literally won the Battle of the Bastards, to hang around Winterfell for no reason, even after he knew he was in danger from Bran. In the last book... Three major characters, Jamie, Kevin, and Cersei, all at one point wished that Littlefinger was back to assist them. And Littlefinger himself implies he has plans in the capital when he talks about Cersei's botched ruling, saying, It's quite vexing. I'd hope to have four or five quiet years to plant some seeds and allow some fruits to ripen, but it's a good thing that I thrive on chaos. <laughs> uh, that's also an interesting jab at George himself, because George intended to have a four or five <laughs> year gap of relative peace that and and uh-huh. little finger saying ah, i wanted that to happen but you know fucking architect i uh, disagree fucking gardener i disagree with the categorization of little finger's actions in okay the show. uh i think a lot of what he was doing was simply to try to sew up the north via sansa mm-hmm. and sticking around at winterfell being close to sansa who he views as the key to the north mm-hmm. is the way to do that right like i know john is the king but he's like he's looking he's staring down the barrel of john leaving Right. And having Sansa all to himself, why would he abandon that advantage? I, I don't know. I, to me, like Littlefinger is there to teach Sansa a lot of lessons, mm-hmm. to try his hand at, at climbing this chaos ladder and to fail. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with that story? It's nothing. I just think that I, I kind of agree with Rick in here, that, or Roderick rather, that it's, it's a lot – it's a more simplified, stupid version than what's going on in the books. But no one knows what's going on in the books. Right. And George hasn't written another one. And, uh-huh. like, it's really easy to say the Double Ds are not the writer that George is, but I don't know that George is the writer that George used to be. Uh, I and, feel like it's and a, the at the very D's, least premature to say. And the Double Ds can't take eight years off to figure their next fucking move out, you know? Right. They have to keep writing it. So, yes, it's probably axiomatic to say Littlefinger in the books is going to be more complex and probably have a better play than Littlefinger in the show. But I also agree with Jim, like, at... I, I think, I think you have a point, but also it's inevitable that Littlefinger is going to lose. Right, he's I mean, going the, to reach an end where he's he's grasped for that yeah. next rung and he slips and falls, and 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 that's the way it's got to go. Unless you think Littlefinger is literally going to be set up some kind of, you know, either change his goal and not want the Iron Throne, right. or end up on the Iron Throne. End up and, on the Iron Throne, right. And neither of those seem possible for that character. Which, I mean, I guess that would be a bittersweet ending, too, if, like, Sansa somehow, you know, gets married to him, and, they and like, he's a good ruler in the same way, like, you know, that he keeps the trains running on time and all that, but <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that's sweet. That just seems bitter. That seems like the bad guy won. But, yeah, I mean, yes, it's... 
most of the plot in the last few seasons of Game of Thrones does feel like it's the very highlights and the very most obvious things that will have to happen. But I mean, whose fault is that? Yeah. Uh, I can't think that anyone could lay that at the double D's other than they're not as good as writers. George, when he takes eight years to turn out a book. Mm -hmm. So uh, moving on, Mike H, we've been told only a few things about Valerian steel in the show. Uh, The two most important things being its rarity and its ability to kill the others. There are only a few blades in the world or in the show that we know of. And I think they're these weapons are whom they belong to and will help keep in mind who has a fighting chance against an encounter with a white Walker or, Knight's King. As far as I know, remember, here are the following. John has Long call, uh, Clock. Arya has the Cat's Paul Dagger. Brienne has Oathkeeper. Sam has his father's sword. Um, is that... That's not widow, Widow's Widow. Uh, no, that's Joffrey's. Right. And Jamie Jamie has the Widow's Whale. Um, those are the wep- show weapons I can think of. Did I miss any? Um, Jamie has the Widow's Whale? I thought he, Joffrey. Well, but Joffrey's dead now, and I think Jamie's got it. I thought... It just goes to him yeah i mean it wouldn't go to tommen uh hmm you know honestly i i i don't know if jamie has a widow's whale you're right but tommen's dead now too so like who the fuck would it go to now good good point he had a question mark after that one and honestly jamie might yeah yeah because i I imagine go to the eldest male of the of the line so um yeah who else would cersei give it to i mean even kevin's dead so like Yeah, yeah It's pretty much Jamie. Um, huh. So here's my opinion, and this kind of goes dovetails nicely with the thing I just said to Roderick, which is I think the depressing answer is that's all we're going to get as far as the show. I think mm. the Double Ds decided to just hand wave to this piss pot full of obsidian that is Dragonstone, and you are going to just see an unfathomable number of Northmen and others with obsidian-tipped arrows and spears and... Yeah all kinds of other shit and you and and John will have a long claw which will be some sort of half-ass light bringer after a fashion and the forces of good are just going to triumph and I don't think that they think that there is anything else to and like Brienne's got one so she'll probably you know and Arya's got one so you know I don't think it's going to be as dumb as her wearing a white mask and then sneak up by the Night's King and and killing him, but they'll probably have, you know, and Jamie, he's joining the fray. There'll probably be a party of badass with the Valerian Steel, but I don't think there's going to be any long lost blade that comes flying in from the edges. I think, I think the Double Ds think they have everything they need to finish the story and they want to do it. Now, yeah. I talked about that interview that George gave uh, with John at Picar- uh, Picarcio at the Redwood City. Uh, they did this like benefit night to, I don't know, benefit some kind of writer's group or something. It just happened like August 14th of this year, uh, 2018. And some person asked him what the fate of Dark Sister, which was one of the famous blades that the, uh, the Targaryens brought from Valeria. Hmm. Uh, and he surprised everybody. Just matter of fact, is saying that blood, blood Raven, who is the three eyed Raven, three eyed crow, brought Dark Sister with him to Castle Black, and presumably it's either still there or under the tree cave where Bran was tootled. Huh. Okay. Um, and you think that means it's not going to factor in? 
well because, because he's giving away that bit of detail or i don't i don't know because he gave like five kind of like juicy bits of detail and like r slash the song of ice and fire has been has been you know trying to figure out what it all means but a lot the, the, mm-hmm. the popular interpretation is you contrast his willingness to divulge the the status of dark sister with his pointed silence on Blackfire, which is aegon's personal mm-hmm. badass valerian blade and you can make the assumptions of that the importance of that silence as you will like maybe right. maybe blackfire will be a special blade there's also the other one we don't we know about in the universe and it's still hanging out there is dawn which is not valerian steel it's actually steel forged from meteor but a lot of people think it has magical capabilities too but that's you know like will it hmm. destroy a white walker i don't know why it would yeah uh but uh yeah so anyway that's what I think. I, th- I think in the show, it's not gonna. I, I think the show, there's not gonna be any secret blades. But in the books, maybe. Uh, Travis M. I thought there's an interesting element to Kiss by Fire that needs to be discussed. When Rob executes Lord Karstark, the scene is set to the Greyjoy slash Theon theme. Uh, I'm gonna accept you at your word because hmm. I wasn't even aware that the Starks had a theme until like a year ago when someone pointed it out to me. Um, the, the Starks or the Greyjoys? The Starks. So like oh, okay. that's a fair like I that's a fairly notable family, notable yeah. a thing and a, and a very now that I, that I hear it it's a very distinct theme but like I just uh, don't have a very good ear for music I think yeah. this music theory stuff is very interesting I'm gonna take you at his word and it, and if you're wrong uh, people can correct it and I'll make sure you get it Travis okay uh, when Lord or when Rob executes Lord Karstark the scene is set to the Greyjoy slash Theon theme it's almost the exact rendition that fills Theon's execution of Roderick Castle in season two. I found it very poignant that the showrunners and Ramin Jawadi as both uh, a, a very poignant choice for the showrunners and Jawadi as both Rob and Theon are on a predicament uh, mm-hmm. that the, they're in the predicament they're in because of the decisions they've made in the circumstances surrounding them. Yeah. Theon seems to make a conscious choice to execute Castle as not only a show of force to his Winterfell captives, but also because he has something to prove to his father and fellow Ironborn as well as himself. Rob's choice seems more unconscious as he's bound by a sense of justice, duty, and honor, but in the end, no matter how they arrived at the choice, both make disastrous decisions that lead to the downfalls. Theon botches cutting Roderick's head off, hacking at it more than once, and eventually kicking it off, while Rob's slice was swift and clean like Ned's in season one, further illustrating that in George's world, you can be honorable and capable like Rob, or treacherous and conflicted like Theon, and yet still be doomed. Pretty good commentary. Thank you for that, Travis. Uh, moving on, Jeff, I had a giant what if question for you guys about Rob. If the phrase Boltons don't betray him, was his plan <laughs> to take Castle Rock a good one enough or good, uh, good enough to matter? Hmm. That's he, a good question. Cause I, I know it pisses Tywin off. Yeah. It makes him furious. Yeah. Maybe hopefully pushes him into a mistake. Right. Um, it draws him out. I mean, what he's really trying to do here is draw his armies out from King's Landing, right? Yeah, and he and and also like Casterliac presumed to be just loaded with gold, and their okay. mind's still productive, and that you need Rob, gold to fight the you, war, you, like you the brother gold said. To, to fight yeah. the war. So like, it's also the fact it's not just a personal insult, but unlike Winter, you take Winterfell, and you know Winterfell's not the source of anything, right. but you know uh, greenhouses and like like it's it's chief utility of the north and- is keeping the humans alive throughout winter because it's got the geothermal heating it can produce food in the winter um all that kind of stuff but like in any other season it's just a it's just a stout castle um and one in fairly poor repair because the north is poor as hell 
Uh, now, show only detail, Lannisters are flat fucking broke, mm-hmm. as, as, uh, as Tywin reveals, I believe, next season, that there yeah. is no more gold in the mines, so... I think in the show continuity, Rob taking over that would I, I think Tywin would be delighted because mm-hmm. Rob's going to spend a lot of time, it's a waste of resources, and money and men, and not get anything. Well, I mean that's what we see. You know, Tywin's not around at that point. And I wonder right. how he would feel about it. But that's what we see last season, right? Right, right, right. When Casterly Rock is sacked, right, they go, yeah, we didn't really care. Right, we actually use that as diversion to do something way worse to you. Exactly. So, yeah, I could. I don't know. Would Tywin be as pragmatic about it? Probably. Right. is my guess. Uh, he also says, uh, you've talked a lot about how dumb Rob looks for breaking his alliance and falling in love with and marrying Talissa, which I agree, pretty dumb. Mm-hmm. Is he less dumb from a book perspective for marrying the girl because she's pregnant to protect his honor and her honor and probably in some ways not make the same mistake he thinks his father made? I mean, it's 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 more understandable, but it's not less dumb. No, it's no less Rob's dumb. Rob's a fucking yeah. king. Like, his personal yeah. honor and this Gene Westerling or whatever the hell the girl's name is, personal honor, is not worth a whit compared to the lives that he's going to sacrifice in this war. Including <laughs> so, his own. Yeah. It's still super dumb. Again, understandable because – and that's the tragedy of Ned that, like, his fiction that he created to protect Jon Snow influenced his son to not make the same mistake that his dad didn't make. And like yeah, that's the, yeah. that's a tragedy of the the, the foolish Starks. Um, and I look at that scene and I go, here's what should have happened in this scene when right. the, the phrase come to you and they present their demands. They want Edmure to marry a daughter. Rob should say, no, Edmure doesn't need to marry this daughter. I'm actually going to leave Talisa and we're going to honor the original agreement. Right. With my apologies and here's Heron Hall. Right. And try and sort this fucking thing out. Right. Because then the cost are. He that's a personal cost he'd have to pay, right. and maybe the men think it's fucked up that he's like setting this girl aside. To, but but yeah, I think you're right. That's the political but, but right. But don't play lay the fucking war at, at Edmure's feet. Lay it at your own damn feet because you're the right. king. Right. You got to make this right, and he doesn't. Right. He makes the same mistake again, essentially. Right. Uh, Lauren M. Any thoughts as to why Jojen seems to have seizures with his visions, but Bran doesn't? Even if you could say that Jojen has a green seer has been a green seer longer, even by season seven, Bran never seems to have those problems. Is it because he's seen his own death? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's only this things where he sees his his death. It's like it's not even a seizure. It's like his body's literally living out the your mind the, makes the, it the, real. The yeah. Insane ice zombies stabbing him to death and getting <laughs> fireballed to death by the children. Um, I, I mean the the I mean I don't know. Bran could be more powerful. But a better green there seer. There you go. That's like, the thing I thought came up with too. The, like that Brand's just a more na- like he conducts right. that energy. He's like, uh, you know, he's like copper versus uh, 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 Jojen's aluminum. Sure. Like there's a little bit more resistance, a little bit more heat. You know, Jojen's a lot, much more at risk of blowing a fuse and causing a fire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jojen's not going to become the three eyed raven. So right, clearly he's not as good at this. Right. But that's that is purely my own personal opinion, um, yeah. informed though it may be or not, because I got a bunch of corrections to make at the end of this episode. Uh, fuck. <laughs> uh, two. How does Melisandre know who Gendry is and where he is? I mean, the, the Lord is Lord is yeah. God or ain't he? Like she looked into the fire. There's certainly she fucking saw it. There's certainly yeah. power there, and she can definitely see things in the pl- flames, and she can be guided. 
Uh, so yeah, that's that's what you're supposed to believe because otherwise, how the fuck would she? How no, the it, fuck it's a would totally she know? reasonable question. Yeah, but I think the answer is relore. Magic is real, and God's are real in this universe. That's a pretty yeah. good, actually, pretty good indicator of it for the show only. Uh, why do you think Littlefinger decided to break up the match between Sansa and Loras, only to leave for the Vale right after? I never understood how we got that got him any closer to his eventual plan of having Sansa all for himself. He could have taken Sansa away from the Purple Wedding oh. just as easily as if she was married to Loras. No, 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 no. I, I don't. I, this is not the time for Littlefinger to make a move on mm-hmm. the Lannisters, right? Especially when snatching... the Lannisters are calling a favor on him that Cersei right. did two episodes ago. Th- this is him saying, "I've lost the battle; the war is not over." Uh, I don't, I don't know what else to describe it as. Uh, on a somewhat related note, would you continue your podcast for the spinoff series? I know I would love to see the podcast continue, and so would a lot of us. Yeah. I mean. That's that's the plan, yeah. I think as close as like if if Jim and I have breath in our bodies when the HBO series comes out, like we are definitely there day one. Yeah. Now, if the first season is some bullshit that's unsatisfied, <laughs> like like here's the thing that will bra- destroy the podcast if it's all fucking Dungeons and Dragons and Wizards and Warlocks. Oh fuck! Like I'm gonna hate that, that right? Because yeah. like what sucked you into the show? It's not if, the if, Shadow Babies and the Dragons, right? If Brand the Builder's shooting fireballs from his fingers, I'm right. I might be out. But there is the character of Land the Clever, which actually stole Casterly Rock from the Casterlies way back in the Age of Heroes. So we know we have at least one. That's who fan, f- found the Lannisters. The, the the legend goes there's a guy named Land the Clever who stole the kingdom from the okay. old kings of Casterly, and he founded the Lannisters. Gotcha. So there is at least one guy from the Age of Heroes that is like on the little finger. He's the great, 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 great granddaddy of Tywin and Tyrion. <laughs> Good. So. I, no, I'm glad to hear that. Like that's like I said before many times. Right. The political intrigue, the the machinations are the thing that's bringing me to the show. Right. And there's a lot of so good things like do the that. Age old intimate intimate in, enmity between the children of the forest and the first men. Yeah. Like is I, I'm not quite sure on the exact. Uh, I I feel like this is before the Andal invasion, but maybe you could get some of that in there. There's like a lot of interesting commentary you could have between you know disparate foes having to unite against a common enemy. And um, but yeah, if it's got that intrigue and mm-hmm. like that that politics and and that kind of like you know spycraft, I think it will be a hit to the extent that it's just a swords and sandals type of fantasy series i think that like a lord of the rings it's not just a jim jones of the world it's going to be a lot of people that don't traditionally like fantasy they're going to check out on it so yeah you need to keep the the spirit of game of thrones but yeah i mean from my from i think our personal enthusiasm for the property our trust in hbo's pedigree which also is something that the jury might be out on in years to come um and just business. Like, we'd be fools, to be honest, yeah. to not at least give <laughs> it a true. shit chance, you know? Uh, uh, this is the biggest show in the universe, and it's going to get a lot of looky-loos, if nothing else, when, when they start start over. So, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll definitely be back. In fact, uh, stay subscribed to the feed, because there's yeah. uh, I, I plan on coming back for a mini-series on the Targaryen uh, history that George is releasing in November. That's also when... My book on the Westeros religion drops, so we'll be talking. Like I, I plan to do a couple episodes around those things, and then you know next spring, hopefully, we'll have season eight. And keep maybe- dreaming, keep dreaming. <laughs> Summer at the latest. Summer at the latest. We <laughs> okay. will have Game of Thrones in 2019. I, I, I would bet almost. Oh, the show. the show. The yes, show. Yeah, yeah. Yes. 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 
That's your. And then yeah, about. if Wins comes out, I would like to do a, a podcast series on that. And unfortunately, I don't have other than the November stuff. I don't have any of that timing quite yet. So the best, to, if you don't want to miss anything, just say subscribe to the feed and or follow us on social media. All right, moving on. Jared from KC. How would you rate Rob as a leader and a king? I think the past. <laughs> Most would cons- in the past, most would consider him a good leader in his ability to lead in battle as he won key battles over the great Tywin Lannister. He does have some major victories and accomplishments under his belt, no denying that, but there are certain things he does or traits that make me think he isn't as great a leader as we might have thought. Uh, I think that is his selfishness and expectations that others should sacrifice when he won't is uh-huh. a key flaw. There are a few examples to look at. Asking the Karstarks to let the death of their sons go unanswered. We saw that turned out. The big one, breaking the promise of the phrase. Uh, asking his uncle to sacrifice and take one for the team to make peace. Uh, I'm not saying he wasn't a good leader and couldn't have been a good king, but I think he has major flaws that we might overlook. Uh, oh, I don't even overlook him. Right. I mean, I think they're staring us in the face, and and you can't overlook them. Yeah, no, I, and I had a a civil fight with a medieval historian at the Con of Thrones, where he he was basically saying, "Oh no, Rob would have obviously won the battles, had like like a very minor logistic things broken his way." And I'm like, "There's no fucking way. There's no fucking way. Like his kingdom was already fractured, even if he had mm, somehow yeah. eked out a victory." over uh tywin lannister and the tywin wasn't able for some reason to unite with the tyrells like mm-hmm. i mean the only way i see rob winning is stannis win like like stannis wins king's landing and rob agrees to kneel before him and become the lord paramount of the north which i don't know if rob would do that's the only fucking way because otherwise stannis takes the capital and he takes the united six kingdoms and then you know, fucks Rob yeah. totally because uh, I don't think he outfights Stannis, and he doesn't have the numbers at that point. Now I don't know that Stannis could. Yeah, and that's I, the other question. Can, I don't think Stannis could invade the North because traditionally that was tough to do, and it took dragons to do it because you have yeah, to go through the yeah. neck, all that marshy, treacherous terrain where the Kranigmen are going to be hitting you with poison arrows every single step of the way. Your wagons are going to get uh, uh, bogged down in the shitty uh, King's Road that goes through that swamp. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the North, I don't, like, you know, North is more like, you know, here's a little thing about trade. Uh, it makes everybody's lives better. The uh, North being cut off from the South wouldn't make either place better. Well, I also wonder about Rob's ability to keep the throne once right. he gets it. Because I look at all of the 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 dancing, the tap dancing that mm-hmm. uh, Tywin is doing. Mm-hmm. Rob doesn't have anybody around him who's really capable of doing those sorts right. of things. Right. The, those those political maneuverings, the things that keep but power he would, consolidated. As as the Lord of the as the King of the North, the Maesters absolutely would send him. He would have a Maester, so he'd have at he least would. one yeah. person of but council. D- like I mean, maybe he can keep Varys on. You know, Varys has survived a couple of kings now. Um, Varys could be that person for I don't know why him. Why Varys would go north? I think Varys would just serve. no, no, no. I'm saying if Rob takes the fucking throne. Oh, the Iron Throne. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, I don't think I don't see. I I just don't see any way he could possibly do that. Yeah. Um, like keeping the North, maybe, but like the whole Seven Kingdoms, I don't. I don't think so. I don't even think that was no. his goal. His stated no, goal. His goal is to yeah, to what, just was just, to either rescue his father or get revenge, and then go back to North and right. just be king of the North. Yeah. Or as they say, a king in the north. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think he's... And the other thing is, like, in the books, he's, like, what, 16? In the show, yeah. he's, like, 19, 20. Like, yeah, he's not. I, 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 
I don't think he's a bad leader. He just was thrust in a position that he's not qualified for. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Rich from New York, I was wondering if you think the show would have followed the books in terms of Theon, or how it would have gone if the show had followed the books in terms of Theon's story. At the end of uh, the second book, we're left with Theon's last point of view chapter, revealing that he'd been tricked by Ramsay into opening the gates of Winterfell to the Bolton's men, and he's then captured. We now have another POV chapter from Theon until book five, and even then we do not know that Theon... It is Theon until later on because he's been broken and renamed as Reek. We're given small huh. bits of info in books three and four that he had been flayed and killed, but that's it. My question is, do you think the show could have gone a similar route? At the end of season two, Theon is knocked out by Dagmar and given to Ramsay. Then all of season three, we do not hear from him. Uh, Rob is slyly told by Roos that Theon has been flayed and killed. Then in season four, we are introduced to Ramsay as his serving boy, Reek. I'm sure they could have heavily covered him up as to not reveal Reek's true. Ad- no, see, this is where it breaks down. <laughs> yeah. This is one you of the... You can't do the gravedigger thing here. This, like, this is one of the very... You can't do the Ariston, the gray beard. Like, it's just... You can't. You can't. I, I don't think you could hide the fact. If nothing else, he would be in the credit sequence as the guy and the jig would be up. Right. So the other thing is the book's you gradually understand it's Theon because you're inside his tortured psyche. It's not dialogue. It's not like how that's always the tricky part in these book to film adaptations. The ones that are heavy on internal dialogue, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. How do you show and not tell? And it's very, I mean, I don't fault the, I I don't think anyone faults the showrunners for showing the breakdown rather than expositorying the breakdown. I think people say we got it. We don't need as much, yeah. But you know, so yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think they could have done the book route. I, I just, I just don't. Um, now we have uh, a bunch of corrections. Sean McGee, in your three hundred five podcast, you have an extensive discussion of how religions integrate when societies collide, which was nice, but I don't think provides the best explanation for the faith of the seven, re- faith of the seven wedding of Rob and Talisa. Contrary to your assertion of no old gods ceremony in season five, episode six, Sansa marries Ramsay and there is no faith of the seven mentioned. It's all who comes before the old gods. In other words, we don't see a crossover or melding of faiths in this marriage of two northern houses. Rob and Talisa did not use this ceremony. Perhaps uh, Talisa was a believer in the faith of the seven, regardless of her birth home. But I think the best explanation is simpler. Rob and Talisa get married in the south. The priests are uh, a southern priests, and that's what is available. So, so they came to him and said, hey, can we do a North Wedding up here? They're like, they're like hey, we're, do, do, we're, we're not do, equipped. Do you see for, a Weirwood yeah. in front of this sept? Do you hear it called a sept? That means, you know, <laughs> so I need to break down the Latin origins of this word. What's Latin? What are Romans? <laughs> it, it goes nowhere. It goes nowhere. Yeah. But no, I think I think that's pro- you're, you're right. You, I went into the long huh. religious syncreticism argument, but I think you're right. They went to get married in Vegas and they took what they got. <laughs> uh, David A. from Mel- Melbourne, uh, Australia, just want to touch on Drogo's death and its importance after last week. You said if he'd lived, then Danny would have just been to Westeros earlier with smaller dragons. But you fucking moron. He didn't say that. I'm, I'm adding it myself. Drogo's death is what led to Danny getting her dragons. Without him dying, there'd be no funeral pyre for Dr- Danny to walk into, and the dragons would never have hatched. It's possible that his death is Arguable. the single most important one in the show. Arguable. I mean, she could have tripped while walking across <laughs> her hovel and dropped the eggs into the sure. fire, and then boom. Sure. But, I mean, I think the argument is <laughs> it was a combination of Miriam Asdur's blood magic yeah, and yeah. Drogo's soul and the sacrificing of the witch and Danny's life herself that brought those three dragons to life through some kind of unique combination of blood magic and mm-hmm. 
Now, the question is, to what extent does whatever gods of Westeros and Essos have a say in it? Could she have found some other way to hatch those dragons? That's I mean, I, that's what I'm getting at with my stupid right, joke. But, right. Yeah. But the way the cookies crumbled, you'd not be wrong to think that that. Yeah. And, and obviously us assuming that she just have dragons with Drogo is completely wrong. So thank you for that, David. Finally, Max F. During the Hound's trial by combat against Barry D, his sword absolutely was weakened. Gendry mentions that his old master hated selling swords to Beric because his flames or I think to Thoros. <laughs> he made him look bad? Because he his, lit him up. Yeah, oh his flames God. would ruin the blades. <laughs> Heat weakened steel and under heavy duress such as a sword fight, it would absolutely be at risk of breaking, awesome. especially if you're up against a fucking boss like the Hound. That's awesome. A correction to correction, I think he said selling swords to Beric, but he meant Thoros. So not easy, is it, Max? No. <laughs> to make not. assertion after assertion on sometimes things you read five years ago into a microphone and not get things wrong but i do appreciate the corrections and those three were absolutely on spot uh spot on rather see did another one next week it's actually the phrase the common phrase that aaron struggled with is spot on not on spot uh if you'd like to send that correction do it to game of thrones at baldmove.com uh, of course we also have the forums forums.baldmove.com uh and that's it until next week we are we are just plowing through this season man four more episodes barreling through uh, we'll be back next week. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Later.